how do you stay centered in like that environment? How do you stay centered in capturing peace onto your work? Yeah. I'll tell you what, I think I've, I've made art with like tears in my eyes. So the work doesn't find me at peace. It finds me in a mess. And while I make it, I find that I'm put together. And ironically, when I make my work, right, I'm working with fabric that I punch, so I deconstruct and I put together. So there's this act of like tearing apart and putting together. And at the same time, on like a psychological level, I come torn apart and I come there and everything's kind of pieced together. So when I'm making my art, even when I'm like uh, putting the pieces of the shosha fabrics together, if my mind wanders, right, or I think about something else or something distracts me, you can see it in the work because like I'll... I'll make a mistake or something. So it literally, my work does not find me at peace. It calls me to peace. Welcome to Juice List, the podcast. In this series, we're delving into the dynamic world of art and culture with a focus on the Investor Cape Town Art Fair. Now in its 11th edition, this annual event held at the Cape Town International Convention Center features over 100 galleries and showcases the incredible works of more than 500 artists across four continents. Join us as we explore the curated series, highlighting the diverse and innovative expressions of creativity that makes this fair a standout on the global art calendar. This is Jude, and I'm excited to take you on an exclusive journey through the Investec Art Fair curated series. In this episode, I speak with Bonolo Cavula, whose art exists between the intersection of painting, printmaking, drawing, and sculpture, pushing the limitations of each. Initially creating the punch circular disc from canvas, Bonolo has moved to using traditional shreshwe cloth, invoking cultural, ancestral, archival, and historical connotations specific to her work. Using her mother's red shreshwe cloth, a family heirloom, at inspiration, Bonolo's work can thus be read through the lens of memory, both collective and individual. Welcome, Bonolo. Thank you for joining me. Hi, my name is Bonolo Gavula. I am an artist living and working in Cape Town, South Africa. I am a printmaker and I make work that I call hanging textile artworks or print works. Okay. How long have you been an artist for? And what's your main drive for creating as an artist? Mm. So I studied art in the year 2011. I graduated in 2014. Next year will be, um, what is it? 10 years. Oh, yes. Right? Yeah, next year will be 10. Next year, 2011. So, no, 25 will be 10 years. I studied for four years but it's since graduating I've been doing this for um I've been pursuing my art career for about 10 years and only three years ago did I get my break when I had my had my first solo exhibition um but I I'm just driven to first just make beautiful objects like when I make something that is like aesthetically pleasing and satisfying it just it makes me happy um but of course as an artist when you make art you know you um you do it because you want to start conversation you want to 
present something to the world that people didn't, something that, you know, people didn't think they need. And once they see it, they go, oh my gosh, I didn't think I could see the world in this light. Or I didn't think I could see, talk about this or think about this in in this light. Um, so my aim is just to, I suppose, just to uh, you know, just find value in my culture and um, and my traditions in just a new way um, by presenting the works that I make. Okay. So what's the message you also want to share through your work? <sighs> the message that I want to share is that there is beauty in the world despite, you know, the chaos and the bad. There is good. And with my work, when I say I make artwork that is aesthetically pleasing, um, what I mean is that, you know, I want to make something that kind of just distracts you for a moment. So if you were to go to an art gallery and see my work, my hope is for me to get the viewer's attention and just make you pause and to see something for what it is, something beautiful, but to use it as a distraction. The same way you go to the beach and you look at the sunset, I hope that my artwork has the same the same effect. Um, it's really just to silence you in the moment and to grab your attention and to just kind of steal you away from the worries of the world. I mean, I also come from, um, you know, the beginning of my own personal life is not the easiest. And I could make art about, you know, sorrow and heartbreak and all of that, but I choose not to. I choose to uh, create something beautiful um, uh, because that's what I, I personally chose to see in my life. And that's what I want to share with other people. So it's it's also, it's personal and it's universal, but it's, it's essentially, it's just sharing what, so I, I try to uh, create peace for myself. I try to create something that I, I find be- beautiful, that puts me at ease and I share it with the world. So that's what I'm doing, essentially. Creating beauty amongst. And how does that make you feel that you're in this space where you get to do that? Um, I'm very, very lucky. I do not take it for granted. The fact that I, I can w- I wake up and I'm very privileged to be um, making work that, you know, it's almost selfish. It, it, can, it helps me first, you know. That's why I say I'm sharing it with the world because it helps me. And then I hope to, that it helps other people in the same way. Um, so it's kind of like my art is like therapy. And it's a gift to me that I then share. Um, I remember when I was an art student in my, I think it was my first year. And so in, the, in your first year, you do all the, you know, all, all the art disciplines and we started, um, and we did painting, you know, the lecture was like, okay, guys, this is your, you know, your chance to be creative, paint whatever you want, be experimental, da, da, da. So I made this painting and I was painting like all these red, dark colors and fire. The picture literally looked like hell. And the title was like uh, something about a woman's fury or something like that. And I presented my project and my lecturer looked at me and he said, you know, you're allowed to make paintings that, (laughs) you're, you're allowed to make paintings that are colorful. You can paint cupcakes if you want to. 
but you really do not have to dive into the darkness of the world and what you're feeling. Even if you're carrying that, you don't have to. And I and I won't forget it. From that moment on, I swear to God, I never, I told myself, I'll never make an artwork that is dark. But in a way, I was, I felt like I was given permission in that moment to just, you know, I'm allowed to use pink. And I'm allowed to make work that makes me feel good first before I kind of share it with the world. So it's therapy in the sense that if you look at my work, it's very, um, it's repetitive, it's um, labor intensive. So when I make my work, um, I have to concentrate fully and it kind of just soothes me, you know. Um, you can't make the kind of work I make if your mind is all over the place. So I say it's therapy because it's like yoga for my mind, first of all. So when I make my work, yes, I'm making a beautiful artwork, but the exercise of literally physically making it is like yoga for my mind. It calms me down. And because of that, I then kind of work from a place of peace. And I really do believe that that energy, you can feel it when you look at my artwork. So that's why I say when people go into the gallery and they look at my work, you can literally feel, you can feel the silence. You can sense it and you can see it. So I don't make these like bold, like, it's not like, you know, it's not eccentric. It's the most quiet work because it comes from a place of quiet and peace and possibly wanting to paint cupcakes and not paint how. <laughs> I don't think it helps. It doesn't, it wouldn't help me as like a black woman to walk into my studio and to paint and make work about the things that are happening outside of my studio. I already walk and live in the world as a black woman, as a black woman who, and also just as a human being who's had to endure, you know, um, a trauma here and there. And it's like, I don't want to carry that into my studio. I don't also, my work does not have to be that. So in a way, like the kind of work that I make, it's, you know, it's, it's also very, it is political to not make political work. It's political to paint cupcakes and so on. So long story short, um, it's therapeutic because literally it's a decision to exclude all the noise and just make from a place of pure goodness and tranquility. Yeah. How do you stay centered in like that environment how do you stay centered uh, capturing peace onto your work because like sometimes like you said it, mm-hmm. as an artist it can be it can be so daunting not to capture like what is going on in your external environment especially in, in, in such yeah. such times you know? i'll tell you what it's not about so i don't the work doesn't find me at peace right I come, as I say, I come into the studio and I literally, <laughs> I think I've, I've made art with like tears in my eyes. So, because, so the work doesn't find me at peace. It finds me in a mess. And while I make it, I find that I'm put together. And ironically, when I make my work, right, I'm working with fabric that I punch. So I deconstruct and I put together. So there's this act of like tearing apart and putting together. And at the same time, on like a psychological level, I come torn apart and I come there and everything's kind of pieced together. So when I'm making my art, even when I'm like uh, uh, putting the pieces of the shosha fabrics together, if my mind wanders, right, or I think about 
something else or something distracts me. You can see it in the work because like I'll, I'll make a mistake or something. So it literally, my work does not find me at peace. It calls me to peace, right? So what I, what I like about also my art practice is that I don't have to be whole. I don't have to be happy. In fact, when I'm not happy, I run to my art because it, it centers me. So even now I've, you know, I've got a bit of a, a break before I get into work and I'm not okay. I'm like, I'm kind of, I can feel myself kind of all shaky because I need to work to be stable. So I don't seek inspiration. I don't wait for happy days. Um, I just have to throw myself into the studio, the artwork, uh, everything's just pieced together through making. And my mom gave me advice. So my when I speak about my mom, I speak about uh, my mother who adopted me when I was six or rather um, fostered me. Um, one thing she taught me is that, and we actually had this conversation this week because I was telling her like, I don't know what to do with myself. I hate not making art. But also I'm forcing myself to have a break because I need to slow down. And she said, you know, she remembers her friend giving her this advice. And she obviously forgot that she's given me this advice over and over. When you're sad, work. When you're depressed, work. When you're not feeling good, work. Work is the only thing, not the only thing, but um, you got to work yourself out of certain feelings, you know. And she just reminded me of that um, this week. Uh, so yeah, I don't wait for inspiration. I'm never inspired, actually. I just work. And then from working, I'm like, oh, and things come yeah. about. Yeah. Do you always have a sense of feeling that you, you know what you're doing? Um, you know what? Yes. Because... I can, I always say this, I can be a mess. My life can be a mess outside of my studio. But when I walk into my studio, I am the most confident artist. And I say this not from an arrogant point of view. And I think my art works for me because I'm so sure about it. There's no, like, I don't work to fail. I work to make good work. And in that, I'm always seeking for, like, answers. Because my art also tells me what it can and cannot do. So I'm always trying to solve things through making and I come with it with confidence. So I also believe that what you give is what you get. And I, yeah, no, I'm very confident when I'm in the studio. If anything, I have to kind of slow myself down. Like I have lots and lots of ideas, but I think the one, the, the trick about being an artist is knowing, being a good artist is knowing when, when to use an idea at the right time. Because I think a lot of artists kind of want to do everything at once. I want to paint and I want to build this and I want to build a tower and use spray paint and do everything at once. I think it's powerful. There's so much power in simplifying ideas. And people, I think a lot of artists haven't, haven't, there's confidence in mastering the art of simplifying ideas. I think we want to show the world what we can do but sometimes there's power in like silent confidence so i have lots of ideas my only problem is slowing it down a little bit because some of the things that i make are ideas i came up with like four years ago but there's always a time you, you just need to know when is the, when the right time is to do something and how do you know how do you know like when is the right time ever so 
for instance, like this year, I introduced a new medium. So I started, it was last year, but this year officially at Art Basel in Basel, I had um, these wood sculptures that I carved circular discs and lines out of. This idea I conceptualized in 2014 when I was a student. And the thing about me is that I keep my ideas, right? One thing about me, I'm a hoarder of ideas and experiments. And then last year I was like, hey, I have this idea from, what, six years ago, eight years ago. Um, let me try it out. Like At the time it was fantastic. But it, not that it didn't make sense, but it just was not its time. So I was like, let me do it now. And also, I've been doing this for a couple of years. I'm more mature and also understand, um, you know, I've, I've practiced for a long time. So when I approach woodwork, it'll be from a very mature point of um, working. And it just worked out. And that that idea made sense now, even though... I came up with it when I was a student. It's a knowing. It's like timing. For instance, what I want to do in the booth with, um, in collaboration with Dr. Esther Mathangu, I've had, I've been fantasizing about this idea for like about a year now. And then I, I think a month ago, I was like, okay, let me put this experiment to the test. And I did. And I was like, wow, it actually works. So now I know what I'm going to do. But even before, I was, um, before applying for this um, collaboration and doing this work, the idea was there. And then to have, to have the collaboration confirmed is like, okay, now it's, the, it's time to do this. So when you treat art as like, a, like I say, like I have a very spiritual experience with my art and it just so works out that everything is always aligned. The timing is always perfect. Just to close on that, how do you know the time is right for the idea? And, and what do you even keep your ideas if you have to visit later in the future? So you keep your ideas, or I keep my ideas because it's like you brainstorm and you think and you think. But sometimes, let's say you're working on something and you just have a side thought. It's also important to like think that side thought through and it might not just work it just doesn't make sense for what you're doing at the moment right so three years ago when I had my um my first solo show I introduced you know my hanging shui shui, uh hanging textile works or print works and yeah I'm, I'm introducing my visual language and my signature right to an audience to then if if I had done that and the woodwork and this and this all in, let's say, a space of six months, it confuses people. So you also have to remember that when you're making your work, yes, you're making your work in isolation, but when it leaves your studio, you're having a conversation with people, right? So people are reading your artwork. So you also have to um, keep in mind the people who see your work. And someone who sees your work in 2022 might not see your work so, so somebody might see your work in 2022 and then somebody might not and then they see it for the first time in 2023 and you still want to have like to keep that a strong link between your ideas you don't want to have this like big gap between idea one and idea two so you also want to keep consistency in your visual language and people who let's say acquire your work you also want to build a trust 
um, relationship with them and say, listen, this is my idea and this is my art and I'm not changing, you know, I don't want to invest in an artist and then five years down the line, they, I don't know, they go from painting and the next thing they are doing something completely different. Because you also have to remember that, yes, you work in isolation, but you have people also working on, walking with you on this journey. Um, so also bear in mind the audience, people who see your work and some people who might not see your work. So people don't see your work at the same time. So you also have to give your, your work breathing room for other people to see. So that's one thing about ideas. Um, keep them, but for later as well. Okay. Um, but also... I believe when I, when I say I don't work alone, right? Art is like a conversation between past self, present self, and future self. So this this is what my belief. So oh, there's wow. things that there's things that ideas that you come up with might just be. I believe I'm just going to sound crazy. A hint from future self, right? So some ideas are hints. It doesn't mean that you must do it now. So you keep the hint, keep it in your pocket, and work with what you're doing right now. That hint eventually will be a past thought, right? So you surpass the hint that becomes your past thought, you're in present. Then you're like, oh, wait, that thing that I kept in my pocket, maybe I can use it now. And then you take it out and you use it. So it's your present self working with, I don't know, it's I don't, like I say, like I have a very spiritual um, relationship with my work. So I do believe that. And that's why I respect my, my art ideas and not to rush them. Because there's plenty of time, right, um, to to do things, and I say a good. Do you truly believe that? I do, I do. And um, somebody gave me advice once, and they said, "Onola, if people never get to see you, the closest thing that they'll um, get to see of you is your art, right? And your art needs to kind of tell people not who you are as a person, but when you go, when you leave this world, this dimension, your art is going to be there. And you want your art to be, to be good, right? But it's, it it, it's going to outlive you. So at least let something that's going to outlive you be a good representation of your beliefs and don't rush it. There's plenty of time. And even if you don't have time, touch wood, God willing, that I live to be as live as long as Dr. Esther Matlangu, you know, even if you don't have a lot of time, your art is going to outlive you. So let that, let that be good. Do not make art as if, you know, you only have five, five years. And I think this is the problem with, with artists. Now you, you make art as if like everything that you, that is in your head has to be done by the end of the year. Art is a game of longevity. Right, you're gonna be doing the same. I'm when I'm 60, 70, I'm gonna be doing the same work. And people don't work as if they're gonna be doing this in 20 years' time. And we're forgetting that. And I think um Dr. Samatlang is such a great example of that. Um, where oh, also another artist who I respect, Penny Siopas. She when you walk into an exhibition that Penny's Opus is uh, done. And let's say you, wouldn't, you don't know who Penny's Opus is. You walk in, you would think that whoever made this work, this person has just discovered art a year ago and they're excited about it, right? 
Yeah. And and that's 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 the spirit you, you gotta have. Like there's so much time and you don't have to rush for anything, man. Just trust the process. Yeah, yeah. Speaking about process, how has your work evolved over the years? And what has been some of the common themes that are still um, been present with you? <sighs> some of years I've been um, working with the same idea over and over again. Um, so I conceptualized my visual language in the year 2013. So I was a third year student. And in my fourth year, it, it really came like, like I built it up really well. So I've been, how old was I then? So 21, 22 years old, I've been doing this since. You know, what's interesting is that I came up with this I, this basic idea when I was a student and I'm using the same formula now. The trick has been to work with the same idea and to approach it as if I have not, like as if I'm touching this. Um, for the very like first time. Like as if time. the whole idea for the first time. The irony is that it's the same idea. And I, one of my other beliefs is that a good artist makes you, does the same thing over and over again for years and years and years and makes you feel like you're seeing, and every time they present their work, they make you feel like you're seeing it for the first time. For me, that is my goal as an artist, is like I want it to be refreshing all the time. What has changed is the idea has remained the same, what has changed is that three years ago, I was using um, canvas and paper to punch into and to create these, these patterns with the work and, and piece them together with thread. And then three years ago, I kind of went, oh, this work is now, it feels meaningless. Like, what am I going to use that's going to bring meaning to the artwork? Because I was using paper, magazine paper, canvas, I was painting the canvas, but the work just felt completely flat. And I was like, no, 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 something's got to give. And, and I was like, what am I going to use? What am I going to use? And um, that's when I came across my mother's dress that was passed down to me by my great-grandmother, her red dress, red dress, my mom who passed away when I was, I just turned five. And um, so I have her dress and I, and I look at it and I'm like, I wonder if I can use that material. It's dress, red fabric. It's a traditional cloth. Let me just, you know, check it out. I go to the fabric store, use the fabric. And now I have to think like the artist that I am. I'm like, how am I going to manipulate this fabric into doing what I wanted to do? The same way I manipulated canvas, the magazine paper and other paper. I know people use this traditional cloth to make clothes and so on and African designs and, and cushions and all that kind of thing. How am I going to turn this into fine art? And so I use my knowledge in printmaking to manipulate the fabric so I have my tricks and I have my ways and I stiffened the paper and um, I punched it, manipulated the fabric and it's archival, it's perfect and I use this treasure fabric which has these patterns and when you deconstruct it and put it together, the patterns then realign and create a new pattern and it was like magic, right? But um, <clears throat> I, like I said again, it's, the timing was just right. So for a long time, I was building up the idea and then I found meaning only a few years, a few years later. And I'm so grateful for it because just using the, the traditional shirt fabric has, oh, it has given the work a, just a new, a feel and meaning um, and historical meaning, spiritual meaning. Yeah. Um, 
formal qualities and all of that. It, it, it was like gold, really. I came across gold. Yeah. Bonolo, can you describe what the social... Uh, so is it social fabric? Can you describe it for our listeners, what, what, what that yeah. is? So social fabric is a traditional fabric that we use and it's so it's specific to South Africa the same way other African um, countries have their traditional fabrics that they use so the shosha fabric was um, imported but um, by Europeans but there was a spe- specifically shosha fabric was gifted to King Moshesha of Lesotho as a gift right by Europeans and then we then use this fabric over time adopted it and it has become a part of our culture. And there's a company that prints out the Shoshu fabric and sells it to this day. So that's where I go and buy the fabric. And a lot of people buy the fabric to make traditional attire. So when you get married, we have what we call the white wedding or the Western wedding. Yeah. And then you have the traditional wedding where you would use Shoshu material to dress yourself, you know, um, so that's where the traditional aspect comes in. My grandmother, yeah. my great-grandmother, the clothes they wore, they wore shosha fabric. A married woman, um, like the red shosha fabric um, indicates that, in my culture, at least indicates that you are a, a married woman, the red, when you get married. It's traditional traditional wear. Um, when you're praying and you buy a white shosha cloth for prayer, you use that. So there's a traditional aspect to it and spiritual aspect, all these spiritual connotation and the historical aspect um, with, with the Shosha cloth. So that's where the work, it is design orientated, but when you get into the material aspect of it and it's historical, um, it's just laden with like historical meaning, traditional and spiritual meaning as well. And it also ties, yeah. it's tied with my identity as a black woman. In South Africa, does this mean that for the work that you did, you had to take apart this cloth that your grandmother gave you? Oh no, no, no! So I have my mother's dress. <laughs> I hope to pass it on, um, but it was just um, it just sparked the idea to use that fabric. But I'm not. I'm actually it's my. It's literally I keep it. <laughs> Uh, it's under my pillow right now. That's how closely connected I am to that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I travel, I pack it, I put it with me. I feel like I'm traveling with my mother. So that dress specifically is so special to me. Um, it's like my always like a prayer cloth. <laughs> but I will not get that. I will pass it down to my... I want to be the grandmother who's like, oh, here's the... Here's, here, my child, take this dress. So I'm keeping it. I'm not constructing that. I sleep with it. Wow. <laughs> well, at yeah. this point, this dress is over 50 years old. Exactly. Exactly. It's, <laughs> uh, it's, um, when my great grandmother gave it to me, I was like, okay, thanks for my mother's dress. You know, what am I, like, what am I going to do with it? But I kept it, like, you know, and I respected it. But now I respect it even more. I'm like, this is my, that's why I say I don't make my art by myself. My great-grandmother literally gave me my idea before I even knew it. She passed it on okay, to me. Okay, okay. Um, wow, that, yeah. that's, that's such a powerful way to incorporate that history into your work. 
and its significance right. as well. Yeah, it's like this. Um, yeah, you know that's why I say yeah. I, don't, I don't work alone, and that's why I, I yeah this the dress is so dear to me because I'm just like maybe I should cut out a piece in case it gets lost. I keep it in a vault somewhere. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, at this point, let's also talk about your upcoming work with the <clears throat> Investor Cape Town Art Fair. How did you mm. get selected for this upcoming edition? And what would you be presenting for your section, which is Generations? Generations. So the curators, um, Amma and Natasha, are amazing. Amma's a good friend of mine. I love and respect her. And I guess they were having conversations. Like I said, you know, one doesn't go, no, you know, my work is like Dr. Esther. Um, But they saw it. And they invited the gallery and myself to, you know, apply and to see if, you know, the the collaboration would work. And it was welcomed by Dr. Esther Maslangu and her, um, her team. For me, I think that's just wonderful, like that they are in agreement with this collaboration. It's just like, yes. For me, this is actually a career milestone. Besides that, it's it's a blessing. So the work I want to do, like I said, I've had this idea for a long time, for like over a year now. And then I've experimented. I just made like um, sort of a s- small editions of the work that I want to do like a mock-up and it worked out so beautifully so I do know what I can say is that I will be incorporating my Swishway um, artwork on a frame and also painting but when I say painting it's not so with printmaking how I approached it is that I didn't approach printmaking and it's sort of obvious you know it's in its typical state in the same way I'll do with the painting for this for this project all I can say is that I'm going to incorporate painting I'm going to marry painting and the shwe hanging textile works together and I think it'll be it'll go hand in hand with Dr. Esther Matlangu's work that's all I can say there'll be shwe and paint but in a very exciting what do you hope the viewers or people who will be attending the fair to see from your exhibition? What do you want them to take away? I want them to see work that is of good quality, irregardless of who is making it and when they are making it, at what age they are making it, right? So when one work is next to another, you're not looking and going, Oh, this is like. Oh, this this might this is better because this artist has been working longer, or this is better because um this artist has just started. Art is good simply because the artist has in that moment given given their best to put together this artwork. Right, it's consistent. Whether I'm ten, twenty, or seventy, art is consistent. There is no timeline there is no barrier it is all the same so when you go and when you look at this artwork you're not looking at yes it says generations but where art is concerned art is timeless right it's 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 consistent um it out like i said pre- earlier on 
it outlives us. So I want people just I want people to see the consistency of what good art is and the importance of of making good art at whatever stage of life you're you're in. You don't decide to be a better artist at 50 than you are at 20. You are always that consistently. So I just want people to be looking at good art side by side. Yeah. What is also the importance of you participating in this section of Generations for the Fair? How do you feel about that? Um, hmm. Like I said, the fact that Dr. Esther Matlongo and her team are in agreement for me is I'm honored. And when I say it's a career milestone, you know, we don't, as artists, you don't get promoted or you don't have title like, on oh, no, are you CEO or you this, this, this. You're always just an artist. Sometimes you need to pause and just breathe and be like, listen, I've done this amount of work. This is this is where I'm at. This is who I'm working with. My art is with this person. Okay. Th- this is happening and this is what this means. But like I said, we don't work in isolation. So for me, yes, I'm inspired, but I think it's also important for artists who are students at the moment or just, you know, fresh out of varsity and working to kind of see other artists and see artists at different stages of their careers, right? Sort of myself, I don't know, do I call myself an emerging artist? But I think it's important to see artists at different, the artists themselves at different stages in their lives. But like I said, to also see art as something that is consistently good, regardless of how old you are, what stage you are at in your life. So there's there's two aspects to it. Like I just want to inspire other artists and for them to see like, oh, okay, you can be a good artist at any stage of your career or life. But also at the same time, it's just also seeing good art. The fact that, you know, you, I'm, to be alongside Dr. Esther Maklangu, it's just like, it's a nod to say, oh, okay, I think I'm making good art and I think other young artists should aspire to do the same. Speaking of Dr. Esther Matango, how did you, first of all, find out about her and how do you feel about participating in this section of Generations and connecting your work with her work as well? Um, you know, who doesn't know Dr. Esther Matango? Um, I think, when was it? I think her work also, I think what's really cool about Dr. Esther Matango's work is that, you know, when she was collaborating with, BMW and I just remember being on YouTube and you see you know her work on YouTube and and then there was a stage where on I think on Instagram or social media just celebrities in America going like oh we know Dr. Esther Matlangus just the exposure that her work got overseas internationally was just like whoa so that's how be exposed to her work but also as a student um yeah and then to be a part of this curated section, you know, for me, it's like a dream come true. You know, you sometimes you look at an artist's work and you admire from afar, but to think that you're going to have your works alongside the artist is just like, you know, it's just like, like, you know, you wish type of thing. And now I was like, whoa, it's, it's really happening. Also considering that she's really, really like well-respected artist and, I don't know if I'm deserving, but I'm going to prove it. 
I'm just excited about that. It's kind of proving myself next to her. Yeah. But I feel like obviously now your work in 2023 is now in conversation with her work, which has existed for the last six decades. And it's mm. sort of like going back to the point on the reference on time. It, time transcends like good work. Oh, yeah. You're being compared to Dr. Esther, who's had such an important art career over her life, right? And yours is just starting. I think that's such a great way to have this dialogue or have this conversation. What are your thoughts on that? Like I said, you know, the the most important thing is like consistency. I think the fact that when I go into my studio, my goal is to make work that is aesthetically pleasing and also technically good, excellent, and of a high standard. I think that's what's kept me afloat as an artist. And it's also to then have some, I'm just three years into practicing, I think is a testament to that, to that aim. You're not going to have work that isn't of good quality next to someone who's been practicing for years. And, um, Consistency in creating good quality work is key. And I think my work is a testament to that. Quality over quantity. And when I say quantity, I'm like, um, even the number of years, right? Um, An artwork that is really well made is so worth more than years and years of making bad art i think i don't know if i answered your question also with that one but i think it's just a testament to to the fact that my aim to make good quality work is um i've reached that goal yeah what gives you that certainty what gives you that feeling because i don't think you would you don't just put dr esther matlangu's work next to like it it's got to complement the work if you, and if you also her work she doesn't use um oh she's such a perfectionist she doesn't use a ruler she's such a perfectionist or just all those lines perfecting it with you know the naked eye so her pursuit of excellence and perfection art beyond the, the physical object, art is something that can be felt. And I think when you look at my work, you also feel that same sense of pursuit of excellence. And I'm also, you know, working with just my bare hands, perfecting this, these patterns and lines. Um, they just, the two works just work well together because I think the essence is the same. Um, the essence of perfection the essence of um, quality and just preserving. You know, I think when you make work that also represents not only yourself, but a culture, you don't want to, you don't want to let the culture down. And Dr. Esther Matlangu is doing that. I'm doing that. So you just feel that. And it just makes sense for the work to be next to each other. It's really the same thing. We think about it, two different people at different times. Wow. How's that been possible? I'm just thinking about like how you've had this idea, which is obviously strongly influenced by your culture and your heritage. 
and even the conversation you've had with your grandmother, right? And you've never even had a chance to have this conversation with Esther, but she's also had this life experience and she's been able to do this work, which is like, in a way, similar to yours. Yeah. Bonolo, if you had the opportunity to ask Esther any question, what would it be and why? I think we're similar in the sense that we're kind of born artists. So I never wanted to be an artist. I didn't know what an artist was. So I can't aspire to be something that I have not seen an example of, you know. Um, and, but I definitely, when I was a child, so obsessed with drawing, obsessed. My foster mom encouraged me to become an artist because I also think she knew what an artist was. She understood what it was to be an artist and she saw that for me. And I'm only seeing that now. But it really wasn't by choice that I am an artist. With Dr. Esamatlangu, I think it was a similar case where she was just going about her life and other people saw what, what was her life was turned into her art, right? And with me, what was an extension of who I am, like I loved drawing as a child, was turned into something like, no, it's my job, <laughs> which I love. I'm very curious. I would ask her, given, given the chance, would she, if she went back in time, would, would this be a choice? And with me, I also sometimes feel like not that, you know, I'm doing something. I feel like I'm called. I was called into it. It feels more like a calling than it is, you know, a job or, or some career I'm called, like I'm called into. It's like a career that I chose. It's something that I'm called into. And that's why I believe I don't work alone. My grandmother passed it on to me. I've just started referring to my work as ancestral work because I don't work alone. Um, even this weird thing of like having my mother's dress, social fabric close to me, my ideas also, like when I'm in my studio, I just, I really get my ideas or I get a sense of peace from like, from from a spiritual from a spiritual source. So for me I feel like I'm called into this. Whether I liked it or not, this is my calling. So I would ask Dr. Esamatlangu, like, had she been given a chance, would she choose this for herself? Bonolo, we are almost wrapping up with that conversation. Do you have any last words you want to share with our listeners? Is there anything else we didn't cover? Um Maybe just uh, some advice for young artists. Um, you know, the same way that writers have to read a lot of books to make um, to create a good novel or story, artists have to do the same. Um, but one thing my advice would be that you, the good art or the good material for for sharpening your artistic skills is not on Instagram. So artists need to do not scroll on Instagram for to sharpen your artistic abilities. If anything, it'll really dilute it. We need to go back to reading artists' books, look at art all the time. You need to so for instance when I'm in the studio and I'm working because I look at art all the time, I've collected so many art books. I look at like, um, there's a page 
there's a page on the internet called uh, this website page on the internet jesus i'm getting old this website called i like this check that out there's so many different ways of making materials artists need to study art and art materials so when i'm making my art in my studio and i'm, I'm stuck I remember all the things that I've seen and my brain just kind of puts together and pieces solutions from what I've seen. So if you want to be a good artist, you need to look at other good art, but not just kind of look at it. You need to read the visual cue, like the material. Artists need to learn how to read art the way writers need to, you know, sharpen their vocabulary, but like reading a lot of books, look at art, but the good art does not reside on Instagram stay away from Instagram and open a book and just go back in history. Go back, like go back 50 years ago and study artists. It'll sharpen your ability to solve um, the problem when you're working with your hands in the studio because you've seen, you've seen a lot of art and your brain just pieces solutions together by what it's seen. Please, my advice Let's go back to looking at art, but Instagram is not the library to do it. That's it. Wow. <laughs> Thank you so much, Bonolo. Thank you. I, I hope you enjoyed it. I appreciate your time. No, it was really nice. Thank you. Okay, 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 okay. okay. All right. Thank you so much once again. Thank Enjoy you. the rest of your day. You too. Have a- All right. Speak soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for being a part of this captivating exploration through the Investor Cape Town Art Fair Curated Series. We trust that you found inspiration and insight in the diverse world of artistic expression showcased in this episode. Looking ahead, the 2024 edition of the Investor Cape Town Art Fair would unfold under the theme Unbound. Save the dates as we eagerly anticipate the 11th edition of this remarkable event from February 16th to 18th, 2024. Stay tuned for more engaging episodes on Jude's List.